How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, my name is Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It is an absolute joy to be back with you. I've been gone a, a few weeks. I uh, went spring break to uh, Kentucky and visit my family there. Got an opportunity to preach while I was there. And then uh, I went to India uh, to visit one of our partners over there, Arjuna Chigaluri and Vision Nationals. It was a great time. I'll probably talk about that in uh, the coming weeks, maybe show you some pictures of what's going on there. But God's doing some great work there, but it is an absolute joy to be back here with you. I got a few announcements before we get started. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, we got something big coming up called Good Friday. We're going to be doing that 6.30 on this Friday, so make sure you don't miss that opportunity to observe Jesus going to the cross. And I think that's important for us as Christians to observe that together and to worship through that together because it leads up to Easter and it helps us understand uh, the weight and the significance of Easter, Easter even more. So if you would, uh, be here at 6.30 this coming Friday. And then we have Easter gathering or our Resurrection Sunday. That's this coming Sunday. We're going to have 9, 11, and 1 p.m. So there will be no 6 p.m. It'll be 9, 11, and 1. Cool? All right, so here's what I'm going to ask of you. We asked our covenant partners this as well. Uh, the 9 and the 11 are going to be packed. Uh, we'll have a lot of guests here. And so I'm, I'm asking you, if you don't mind, would you give up your seat at 9 and 11 and come at 1 o'clock? Does that sound okay? If you show up one, there'll be more room for you. You'll have a little space perhaps, and you'll give up your chair for someone else uh, who maybe is new to Jesus or doesn't know Jesus. Does that sound okay? Okay, eight of you. Thank you. <laughs> All eight of you. You're the best. The rest of you, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So anyway, uh, Easter's coming. So, uh, and, and I've also heard this stat of like um, eight out of 10 people, if they're invited on Easter, will show up to an Easter gathering. So that means invite people. It also means that 73% of all statistics are made up. Nonetheless, uh, invite someone. It'd be great. Second thing is this. Uh, Grace Point students, GPS, they're having a garage sale fundraiser on April 15th, and I'm going to read my notes exact because our communica communications director gives me uh, exactly what to say. I won't name her name, but Camille said this. She says, <laughs> drop non-gross used items on April 14th from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So please drop off some non-gross used items, meaning, meaning bring some things that the kids can sell, and it's a great opportunity for uh, you to invest in the students here so they can go to camp, and it uh, really will help with the cost of that. So make sure you uh, put that on your calendar for the 14th between 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., drop stuff off, and then maybe show up on the 15th and buy all your stuff back. Sound good? <laughs> and then lastly, uh, today we have Starting Point. Uh, if you're new to Grace Point Church, new to Las Vegas, or maybe you've been here for a while and you have not connected, uh, this is a great way to connect to other people here. I'll be here. Some of the staff and pastors and people in Grace Point Church will be here. We do it out in the lobby area. Uh, we just opportunity to get to know one another. You can ask questions. Uh, we've got great desserts, coffees, and cold, hot coffee, cold coffee. Uh, and then also we have a gift for you. And so if you show up, we're going to give you a prize. What is, what is it? I don't know. If I told you, maybe you wouldn't show up or maybe you would. I don't, but I'm sure it's just great, so make sure you don't miss that opportunity. Sound good? You guys ready to get started? All right, well, today's a very special day, as Brandon was talking about. This is the last Sunday of Lent, which signifies the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, historically, this Sunday is known as Palm Sunday, and it leads up to, as I said, Good Friday and also then to Resurrection and or Easter Sunday. And I would argue that this is the most important week for us as Christians. This week is everything for us as Christians. And so uh, today we are going to observe and celebrate Palm Sunday. But what is Palm Sunday, you may be wondering? Well, uh, it, I'd say it has a lot to do with expectations. 
Palm Sunday is a lot about expectations. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and go to John chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning, John 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or maybe you're new to Grace Point Church uh, or you're just new to this whole thing, uh, here's what you need to know about Grace Point Church. You're going to need a Bible here. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. And so if you don't own one, don't feel bad. We have those for you uh, free in English and Spanish at these tables in the back as well. And at Center Point, just please stop by and grab one. And then also, if you've got a smartphone, you can download the Version app. Uh, when you download that, you click events, and then it'll say like Grace Point Church or Grace Point Vegas. Click that, and all the notes will show up. But we're going to be in John chapter 12. Um, <laughs> I'm going to warn you. Don't don't leave me today. Like there's gonna be a part there be there's gonna be parts and movements within this message to where you're like I don't like that and you're like I'm out of here. Well, just hold hold your horses, uh, hold your horses. Just just hold up. Just see, see it through to the end. Don't be don't 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 quit on me. Uh, see it to the end. But I, I want to start with this statement. I told you this, this Palm Sunday has a lot to do with um, expectations. Uh, I want to start with this statement. I really want you to hear this. Jesus doesn't always meet your expectations. I want to say it one more time. I really want it to stick with you. Jesus doesn't always meet your expectations. Now, it's not because there's a problem with Jesus. No problem with Jesus whatsoever. Jesus is perfect. And Jesus fulfills all the promises of God, all the yes of God. Jesus fulfills perfectly, but... He doesn't always meet our expectations. So where does the problem lie? Perhaps the problem lies in our expectations. Perhaps our expectations may be misguided, misaligned, or just false assumptions, or I don't know what, but perhaps it's with us. So the question for us now is, if Jesus doesn't meet all my expectations, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to walk away from Jesus? Am I going to say, well, God must not be good because he doesn't do what I want to do. God must bend his will to me. Or, or perhaps I need to adjust my expectations to actually who he is and what the word says about him. I think that's what we need to do today. So if you get a Bible, we're going to be in John 12, 12. You should already be there, right? All right, let's walk through this. John 12, 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so this next day here kind of gives us a time marker here. This is called Passion Week or what we call Palm Sunday. And it says here that a large crowd gathered around. Uh, now, a large crowd is kind of an understatement there. Uh, many people were gathered there for a specific feast. Do you know what feast this was? Passover. And Passover points us to what in the Old Testament? Exodus, right? Remember Exodus when there, there was the 10 plagues and the last one was like, hey, uh, the firstborn's got to go. Uh, the angel of death is going to come and, and slaughter all the firstborn unless you take a lamb, a spotless lamb, uh, slit its throat, take its blood and put it on your uh, door frame. And if, if you do that, then the, the angel of death will pass over. And so for hundreds of years, they've been celebrating this and observing this. So that's what they're doing right here. I've read that an estimation that there are probably a half million or to almost Two million people there. So when it says large crowd, that is a very large crowd. Now at this time period, Jesus has amassed a lot of a, a lot of buzz. Like people are like just really excited about Jesus, and they want to know about Jesus, and they're talking about Jesus. So here's how big of a deal Jesus is. Look at verse thirteen. So they, being people of the crowd, took branches of palm trees. I, I want you to hold that, okay? Branches of palm trees. Las Vegas people, you know what a palm tree is, am I right? Right, hold on to that. And went out to meet him, crying out. And so they were like, they were, they were praising, they were singing like this song, they were making this statement, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. 
Now, this is where we get the idea of Palm Sunday from. Uh, This event is recorded in all four Gospels. Now, palm branches have been, for the previous 200 years before Jesus, a general symbol of Jewish nationalism. If you look at the uh, intertestamental periods between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's like 400 years of silence there. There's no scripture being written there, but there's a lot of history. And one of the history talks about the Maccabean Wars and all that, when the Maccabeans pushed back the Syrians. When they did that, they used the palm branch as a sign of victory, as a sign of nationalism, as a sign of, of conquering their enemies. Even after Jesus resurrected and ascended, the Jewish people made coins with palm branches on it. And so it's basically saying, hey, we are conquerors. Now, I'm sure you've seen a, a palm tree around here. They're very tall, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet. I don't know. Uh, but in the Palestinian uh, landscape, they would be everywhere. And so the idea is when they took that symbolism, they wanted people to see, when you come around us, you see these palm trees, these, these green palms fl- you know, flying around in the wind. That's our flag of victory, that the Jewish people, the Israelites are going to win. Does that make sense? And so this is a big deal. They're cutting these down. They're putting these before Jesus saying, victory is coming. He's bringing us victory in this war, okay? Verse 13 again. There's a phrase they start to use right there. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. What does this saying mean? Well, to understand this saying, we need to go back to the Old Testament. So if you look in Psalm 118, it says this in verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so this expression in Psalms is is, is in Hebrew, and when transliterated into Greek, which would be your New Testament, becomes the word Hosanna, which means save us now. So when they're crying out to Jesus, when they're putting the palm branches down and all that, they're saying, save us now. It's kind of like their battle cry. It's kind of like their national uh, uh, hymn or song. It's like if you're from England, you may sing the song, uh, God Save the Queen, or something like that. Uh, from the States, when you see a president, you may uh, sing the song, All Hail the Chief. Uh, or, or like when you leave the country, uh, I don't know about you, you ever left the country and go somewhere that's like, it's pretty rough. Like I, I just came from India, it's pretty rough. And when I got back on American soil, I was singing the, the Lee Greenwood song, I'm proud to be an American. I was like, thank you for toilet paper. This is great. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> God bless toilet paper. And so when they would say, Hosanna, there's their, their national cry of like, save us now. We need to be saved. So palm branches, the song, save us now. Look at the last phrase in verse 13 of John 12. It's a very interesting phrase. They call him king of Israel. It's like they are ready to throw a crown on Jesus and make him the king. So, I mean, think about this. There's a lot of expectation going on within this, within this saying, within this verse right here. A lot of expectation that, that Jesus was going to come and he's going to be this king and he's the one that's going to save them and he's the one that's going to battle them and conquer them. They're expecting Jesus to save them from the Romans. Remember in this time period, all God's people are under the oppression of the Roman rule, their oppressor. They're, they're expecting Jesus to come as this king, as this political leader. They're expecting Jesus to, be, to come as this warrior king who's going to create this revolt and this uprising to overthrow the Roman Empire. Palm branches mean victory. Hosanna means save us now. King means lead a revolt against Rome. 
a lot of expectations. Am I right? How does Jesus respond? Verse 14 and 15. Don't miss what's getting ready to happen in the text. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. And so he, he quotes uh, Zechariah here. It says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So they see Jesus battle, victory, politician, all this. And Jesus comes riding in on a, a donkey. Now, for some of you not uh, accustomed to donkeys, let me give you a little bit of donkey history real quick. Um, uh, the donkeys that we have in the States, hey, I know donkeys. Uh, my mother-in-law right now has two donkeys on her farm. One of them actually bit her. Can't make this up. She's okay. Just happened like a, uh, you know, a month ago. It's hilarious, but she's all right. Nonetheless, donkeys in the United States are a bigger animal than uh, donkeys would be back there in Palestinian times. Uh, those donkeys would be very, very small. So small that when the average human being, the average adult would ride on them, they would have to pick their feet up to keep their feet from dragging on the ground. Uh, anyone ever watch the show Parks and Rec? Yes. Little Sebastian? Yes. Okay, now you, you kind of have that picture in your mind somewhat right there, a very small horse donkey-like thing. It's a donkey. Uh, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to put a, an image, a scene in your mind. You may need to close your eyes as I paint this picture because I, I need you to see how significant this, this is. Imagine it's 2,000 years ago. There's two kingdoms at war. Thousands of troops have been sent off to fight. After a year, your country, your nation, your people, you win. And you hear that the troops are going to be coming home. Now, the city that you're in is, is all abuzz with excitement. Everyone's going to be there in this big ticket tape parade, and streets will be full, and there will be streamers and bands playing your national song and cheering and tears of joy, all that going on. You and the rest of you, the population of the city is behind the gates of this great city. And you hear the battle cry of like, they're home, they're coming, and the gates start to open. You're ready to welcome your heroes, and they all come in riding on short-legged donkeys. Not steed, not stud, not even a respectable camel, a donkey. Can, can you picture that? That's weird, right? That's not, it doesn't sound right. It'd be like um, the Super Bowl happened not too long ago, and, and the Kansas City Chiefs won him, all right? And the, 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 uh, the, the quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Imagine, like, Kansas City's going to throw this big parade for him, which I'm sure they did. And he comes riding in in a smart car. You remember those little smart car things? <laughs> It's like, it's like a coffin on wheels because like, if you get in a wreck on that thing, they just, they just put you in the hole. That's it. Uh, it that, would be, that would be the, it's just like, that's just not fitting for the situation. This is the same situation right here. So why does Jesus come in on a donkey? Well, the donkey signifies some messianic uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's always talking about Jesus. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene in the New Testament like, hey, who's this guy? No, the Old Testament is always talking about and always pointing to Jesus that he is the Messiah. And the Messiah means the one who will come and fulfill all the promises of God. Well, in Zechariah, you, you hear this, uh, this prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling. It's from Zechariah 9.9. 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Now watch. Humble. It's a key word. Humble. Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he's not what they're expecting. But it's right here in the Old Testament. Where was the breakdown? Well, perhaps... 
They were selectively reading the passages and the promises of the Old Testament. What they wanted was this political savior. What they wanted was this warrior king who would overthrow the evil uh, Roman Empire. They, they wanted to get out from under the oppression of Rome. But yet Jesus is coming to give them a better victory, one that's much more needed from a foe that we cannot defeat on our own, no matter what we do. He came, Jesus came to give us spiritual salvation from sin's tyranny, not political salvation from Rome or any other oppressive nation. See, they thought their biggest enemy was Rome. Jesus, when you read the gospels, he's not really concerned about Rome, is he? Is he? he, he he's not. He was focused on the enemy far greater and far more powerful. He came to defeat sin, Satan, and death. See, John is showing us something here as he wrote this. John is showing us that they wanted a political figure. See, back in that time when a political figure came to Jerusalem, every aspect of their entrance was choreographed to demonstrate their power and their authority. Trumpets, soldiers, a military. Then the politician would come, on, uh, come into the city on a horse. And a horse said war. A horse said power. That's not what Jesus did. You know why? Jesus is not a politician. He's different from them than the average pol political ruler. Uh, the choice of donkey reveals this king will achieve his victory through humility. That salvation will come through meekness, through being a suffering Servant. As a matter of fact, if you keep looking at Zechariah 9, the next verse, verse 10, look what it says. It says, I will cut off from the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak what? Peace. To who? To the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The Jews were expecting the Messiah to liberate them, crushing the nations in the process. But yet this king has promised that he will come and bring peace to the nations. God's plan is not just for Israel. God's plan is for the nations. See, Israel was hoping for and expecting a nationalistic power, a political savior. Instead, God sent Jesus to be the light of the world and to call people to saving faith through his work, his life, death, burial, and resurrection to reconcile and to bring peace to all people. That's why he came. Boy, their expectations were way off, weren't they? Well, let's pause here and think about our expectations of Jesus. Are we like the Jewish people here? See, if we're not careful, our expectations of Jesus is that he's going to come and be a political and nationalistic powerhouse, if not careful. Christianity has become very political we, th we uh, see Jesus as a, uh, as a means to our political ends. We want him to be our political savior. If not careful, we've tied politics and Jesus into our times right now. And we think, Jesus, save us from the Democrats. Jesus, save us from the Republicans. Jesus, save us from the evil liberals. And Jesus, save us from the evil conservatives. And we think Jesus is here to save us from that. When we should see him as the savior of the world. We should see him as the king of the universe, the one who saved me from my sins, from Satan, from death, and saved you as well if you are a Christian. Perhaps our Christianity has become skewed with politics. Do I have your attention? Um, three years ago, I wrote on this text, and I wrote a little bit of this section right here about three years ago. And three years ago, we were in the middle of COVID, 
And in the middle of COVID, we were shut down for a while to where I was preaching on the, on the video and you were watching it at home on the TV. That was the worst. You, you think it was bad watching me in your home? It was bad me watching me in my home. It was even worse with my family watching me watch me in my home. The worst. But I said this three years ago and it came true. I'm gonna say it again and let's see what happens. I know as a preacher that I am one word, one phrase, or one statement away from you leaving. And I said it three years ago, and it came true. So I would say some things, and people were like, I'm out of here. And my question is, why is that? If I start talking about former President Donald Trump, if I, see, oh, <laughs> got you now. If I start talking about current President Biden or whoever the next person is going to be, if I start talking about pro-life, anti-abortion, Supreme Court, and things of that nature, if I start talking about social injustice, systemic racism, Black Lives Matter, woke movement, if I start talking about sex being binary, that God's created two genders, male and female, if I start talking about American values and the Constitution, if I talk about those topics or any other in a way that does not line up with your opinions or line up with your political party, you look at me and be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> hey, man, I've been around the block. I've seen this thing go down over and over and over. And my question is, why is that? I'm going to make some assumptions right now. I'm going to assume that you're a Christian. It's a wild assumption, but I'm going to make an assumption you're a Christian. I'm going to make an assumption that you love Jesus, you love the church, you like me well enough, and that you're a decent human being. But here's my question. Why do some Christians now fight more and fight harder for the First Amendment, and I'll even say the Second Amendment, more than they fight for the First Commandment and the Second Commandment of the Bible. Why is that? Oh, you're, you're clapping now. Give me a minute. We care more about who gets the political seat in, 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 in Washington, D.C., and don't think as much or care more about people getting a seat in heaven. We care more about the laws that are written in the books than we care about the names that are written in the book of life of God. Why is that? Why? See, all the things that I mentioned before, Constitution, all that, hey, they're great things. Men and women have given up their lives. They've given up their time. They've given up their resources. It's a great, I am so thankful I have the First Amendment that it's Sunday and I get to stand up here and talk about Jesus. I don't have to worry about any Gestapos coming in here and dragging me off. I am thankful for that. Proud to be an American, absolutely. But don't forget, Jesus died for a greater cause. To free you, to free me from sin, Satan, and death to reconcile us to the Father, to create a way for us to be adopted as sons and daughters, for, uh, to create a way for us to be a brand new people that drops all the walls of hostility and all the walls the world tries to create to divide us. No, we are one new people. That's what he came to do. Perhaps, perhaps, this may be a wild assumption, but perhaps politics have become our new religion in this country. And perhaps Jesus is the means to be our political savior and not the savior of our soul. That's where we get in trouble. We, we want Jesus not to be the king, but we want to elect him as president. That way we can choose him to do our bidding and to advance our, our American dream or our agenda, whatever that is. 
Of course, the things of God can be furthered through legislation. Absolutely. Using our vote as a powerful means to further justice and mercy. But Jesus didn't come to be a politician. Don't drag him into it. He didn't come. He came as a king. He did not come to defeat the liberals or the conservatives. He didn't come for that. He came to defeat sin, Satan, and death. Reason with me. You're super smart. I know you are. Just reason with me. Pro-life is a gospel issue. It's just not the gospel. Fighting racial injustice is a gospel issue. It's just not the gospel. Religious freedoms is a gospel issue. It's just not the gospel. Fair treatment of immigrants is a gospel issue. It's just not the gospel. A biblical view of marriage and gender is a gospel issue. It's just not the gospel. It really isn't. They are important. They are just not of first importance. Now, the pushback you're to give me right now are like, well, what's the most important thing? What is of first importance? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us clearly, look what Paul says, inspired by God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for I deliver to you as of, what does it say? The most important thing of first importance is what? What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. The first importance that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected. That's the first importance. Now, that we have the first importance, which would be the gospel, all these other things are now implications of the gospel. Can you see the difference? Sometimes we make those things the gospel and we push Jesus to the side or we make Jesus get with our agenda. No, no, no. The first importance is the gospel. And now because of the gospel being of first importance, now everything else matters. Of course, we're pro-life. Why? Because God cares about people, about human beings from womb to tomb. They matter. They're created in the image of God. Of course, Yes, God cares about racial injustice. It is a shame, the oppression and all that happens in the world we live right now. God is a God who is just. He is going to right those wrongs. He wants to use us to do this. So of course that matters. Of course, it's important that we're able to worship Jesus freely. This is a good thing. Of course, God says that marriage matters and he gives us the definition of marriage because he's the one who created marriage. And the Bible says, I know this is not popular, but the Bible says this, that marriage is between one man and one woman. I, I understand that's not popular today, but our Bible tells us this is the way God created. God created the sex and binary, male and female. He created them. The Bible says these things are important because Jesus is important because the gospel is important. These are the implications of the gospel. See, these things matter. They are theological before they're ever political because our Bibles inform us of this. And so how do we change the world? Don't forget the gospel. The gospel is what transforms us. The gospel is what changes homes. The gospel is what redirects cultures. The gospel is what is eventually going to restore the whole world. So our responsibility, we can fight for those issues and those topics and things like that, but don't forget the gospel. Gospel is what changes life. Gospel is what people need to hear. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. That's what's going to bring lasting change. Side note, Jesus came in on a donkey. 
signifies peace. The Bible says when he returns, he's going to come in on a horse, which signifies war. If not careful, we got that backwards a little bit right now to where we come in on a horse when it comes to our social media, <laughs> when it comes to our personal interaction with other people. We come on way too strong. Uh, it might be a good season for us to get off our high horse and to get on a donkey a little bit like Jesus did right here and to be loving towards people. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Don't, don't forget, Christian, don't let these things you know, kind of gloss over you. Remember the greatest commandment? Maybe we've forgotten it. Matthew 22 is the greatest commandment. He said to him, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? See, the Pharisees, if Jesus was getting after anyone, it was always the Pharisees. Always getting after the Pharisees, the religious elite. And the reason why, or one of the reasons of many Jesus was getting after them is because they wanted to take neighbor and put them in a very defined box. They said, our neighbor is someone just like us, who's Jewish like us, and, and that's who we'll love. Everyone else we can just hate. Jesus is like, no, mm -mm, everybody. Love them. Listen, we are living in an incredibly polarizing time. Polarizing time. It's tense. I can feel the tension right now. Some of you right now are like, easy. Wait, hold up. Wait, don't say it. And like, I get that. I get that. Everyone's against everyone now. And everyone wants you to pick a side. Which side are you on? And you start picking a side. And the reason why you, everyone wants you to pick a side is so they can villainize you. Like, and you're the problem. And you're, you're the reason why. I've seen friendships broken. I've seen marriages and families busted up. I've seen churches just completely disregarded. Why? Because I know all of us are one word, one phrase, or one sentence away. I, I heard a comedian, I won't tell you who because you'll judge me. I heard a comedian say this one time. He says, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. I mean, we live in a world, as soon as you're offended, like, oh, this is the worst person ever, and I can't believe who they are, and the people group they're with, and blah, 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 blah. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean that at all. We live in a fragile time. You know why it's such a fragile time relationally? Because it has no grace. It is, it is, there is no grace. There's no more looking over offenses anymore. There's no more, like, it's just, it's a graceless time. Scotty Smith's a pastor. He said this. You might want to grab your phone out and take a picture of it because it's amazing. He says, I've never regretted, number one, assuming the best about people. Number two, overlooking as much as possible. Number three, offering more encouragement than advice and criticism. Ooh, that's a good one. Number four, and remembering the log in my eye will always skew how I see my pain, disappointments, and other people. This text tells us anything. It tells us Jesus is less concerned about our politics and more concerned with our hearts. He wants us to get him right. Now, yes, care about politics and vote. There's power in your vote, absolutely. But just be reminded, Jesus is not on the ballot. We don't vote on the King of Kings. Our hope is never, never have been or never will be in Washington, D.C. Our hope sets on a throne in heaven. Please don't forget that. And don't miss the irony of this text and what's going to come later in the text. The same crowd that's cheering him on, Hosanna, the king of Israel, we love you. And they're blowing kisses and like, yay, you know, their palm branches and like, yay, and applauding. Uh, and a few days later, you know what they're going to be screaming? And, you're, and we, we hear that and they're like, these fickle people back then, can you believe it? Uh-uh, that's us too. 
That's us too. When Jesus doesn't do what we expect him to do, we're like, this is Jesus, I'm out. Same thing they're doing right here. Same thing. Let me keep going in the text. Verse 16, you still with me? You didn't leave. All right, verse 16. So the story continues, says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, that's important text, right? When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So basically uh, what John's saying right here, the disciples didn't catch all that Jesus was saying. They didn't get the whole donkey thing. They didn't get the whole, he, he's not coming as a political, they didn't understand that until he was glorified, meaning post-resurrection. I think that's, uh, there's a little, a little nugget of truth for us in this as well. It's like, we're not going to understand everything in life right now. There's just going to be things that happen or things that don't happen or expectations that go unmet that we're not going to understand this side of heaven. But I think one of the joys, and this is speculation, one of the joys of heaven is this, the stories we get to share with one another. Think about it. Post like post-resurrection in heaven and all that, we're going to be sharing stories like, hey, you remember that time I said that? And I didn't think it had any, any effect, but that's the reason why uh, you know, I trusted Jesus or like X, Y, Z. Like, it's going to be great sharing these stories. And I think that helps encourage us now, like, don't grow weary in doing good. There's a payoff in all this. We don't even see it right now. We don't understand it this side of it. Anyway, verse 17. Said the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And so he's talking about the crowd right here that's kind of lingering around. Uh, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. There's a feeling here that the crowd wanted to see, excuse me, they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next. And they were hoping that Jesus perhaps would do something for them. It's like they were concerned more about the, the presence that Jesus wanted to give versus the presence of Jesus. They wanted to like, Jesus, what are you going to do? What's, what's your next trick? Like dance, monkey, dance. Like kind of what, what are you going to do now for me versus just being present with Jesus? Verse 19. So we get into a side conversation with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that, uh, you, see that you are gaining nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. Now think about it. Up until this point, Jesus has been really secretive. And now Jesus is all out in the open. Uh, and he knows what he's doing. And he knows who, who he's doing this in front of. Jesus knows, like, this is all leading somewhere. The Pharisees are watching him. And this is what's going to get him sent to the cross. Now, the Pharisees were so right when they said, look, the world has gone after him. Meaning, Jesus is not just coming for the Jewish people he is the king of the universe. He's drawing all people to himself. The Pharisees didn't like that. They thought that the Messiah was only for them. And we read the Old Testament clearly, the Messiah is the savior of the world. He came to save people from every tribe, tongue, political party, nation. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, the Greek people in the time were characteristically seekers of truth. Uh, usually they would go from uh, one philosophy to the next. They wanted to learn as much as they can. And so they got around Jesus. They wanted to hear his philosophy. Perhaps they heard that Jesus was running people out of the temple. And maybe they thought, oh, wow, we've got a new place we can go worship. I don't know. Regardless, they wanted to see Jesus. Uh, so in verse 21, uh, they came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. This just looks like that Jesus is drawing people to himself. 
Uh, and so uh, he, he, people are coming to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now he's talking about being glorified. He's talking about this is the reason. If you read the Gospels, Jesus talks a lot about the hour. And like early on in his ministry, he'd be doing these miracles. And he's like, hey, the hour's not yet. Pipe down. Don't say too much. Don't be telling people. My hour's not come. And now finally he says, my hour has come. He's talking about his glorification. How is Jesus going to be glorified? Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's he talking about right there? He's talking in code, right? He's talking in parables. What he's telling them and us is that he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be buried. He's comparing himself to like a seed. And that seed must go into the ground and die in order to bear much fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit is salvation. The fruit is us. If you're in Christ, you are the fruit. And here's the reality. Jesus, when he died, he was actually dead. But when he was dead, he defeated death and came back to life. And so that tells us something, that informs us something this. When we trust Jesus, we can beat death as well. Yeah, we're, you and I, we're going to die. 10 out of 10 people die. Mortality rate, 100%. There's a cheery news for the day. <laughs> Good Friday and Easter reminds us death doesn't have the final word. Do, do you believe that? Like, like sometimes you get in church and you just hear the same thing, like Jesus loved me, Jesus died for me, Jesus resurrected, and I'm going to be in heaven one of these days, yay. And we hear that over and over and it kind of becomes white noise, but do, do you believe that? Like there is one day when you will be face to face with the Lord. There is one day that that rickety crickety old body of yours is going to be made brand new. Isn't that like, give, give me some amen, some of my advancing years people. That bum knee will not be bum anymore. And this is what we celebrate. Jesus talks about his death. And he's like, okay, now I want you to follow in the pattern with me. So he gives us a pattern to follow him. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hey, you ever notice Jesus does like these uh, Mr. Miyagi like riddle things? You ever notice that? They're wildly impactful. I was reading a little commentary on this. One was by John Piper. He explains it so well, and I'm going I'm to just read what he says because it was so well. He says, Here's the destination, here are the destinations of eternal life, and you can miss it by loving your life. Do you hear that? Miss it by loving your life. That is, by making your goal in life to be safe and secure and comfortable and surrounded only by pleasant things. You know what that sounds like to me? The American dream. That is the pathway to perishing. Or Jesus says, you can take another path and arrive at eternal life. That path is called hating your life in this world. Notice that he adds, in this world. Hating your life in this world means that you will choose to do the things that look foolish to the world. You will deny yourself things and take risks and embrace the path of suffering for the sake of love. This, Jesus says, will lead to eternal life, not death. Sounds great in theory, doesn't it? But what happens when you really start to live that out? And the world looks at you like you're a fool. 
you're going to be about as popular as a white crayon. You know, it's just like, like it's the, no one's going to look at you like, that's awesome. Jesus says the only way to do this is through, through death. That's where we die to ourselves. We die to our little dreams and we trade those in for God's big dreams. We die to our comfort and our security and all that. We die to protecting our reputation. We die to defending ourselves when others slander us. We die to being overguarded and we let people in. And when you let people in, it's going to hurt. We die to playing it safe. We die to self-centeredness. We die to what the world calls success. And we die to making Jesus and the things of Jesus optional in our life. We live, we live in a time where Jesus is just kind of optional. The things of Jesus is kind of optional. You think about church, when it comes to gathering in the church, it becomes optional to us. We'll sit at home. This is the conversation that happens in, a, in your home sometimes. It's Sunday morning. You had a long Saturday. Kids were in all kinds of athletics and sports and things like that. And you ran all the way to the end day and you're tired. And then Sunday you wake up and you look at one another like, I don't know. Do you want to go to church today? I don't know. I really don't. We should just sleep in. We'll catch it later on the YouTubes or whatever. It's just kind of like Jesus is now optional. You know, community groups this week. And like, you know, ball games are on. I got better things to do. X, Y, Z. Let's just skip tonight. The things of Jesus are just optional. What if we were to die to that? The things of God are no longer optional. That's my first priority. I'm going to seek his, his, his kingdom and his righteousness first. Imagine what that would look like. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where is Jesus going to this Friday? You got to follow him. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There's like a commandment and a reward right here. The, the commandment says, you must follow me. This is actively trusting Jesus, making Jesus the priority and things of Jesus the priority and him not being optional anymore. And then there, there, there's this promise right here. This promise that says, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Perhaps we, we've had some misguided expectations of Jesus. We thought this whole following Jesus, Christianity, church thing would make my life better, would make my life a bit more well-rounded, would make me feel like a religious and spiritual person and make me feel good in life. And then God would bless me and I would have 2.5 kids, a dog, not a cat, and everything would just be swimming in my life. But when you read the Bible, Jesus says, come to me and die. Because when you die, that's where you'll live. Come and hate your life in this world. And when you hate your life in this world, meaning you don't have the values the world has, you hold the values that God says in his word, oh, that's where you're going to find life. Is it going to cause some suffering? Absolutely. But it's worth it. That's the call. That's where he's leading us. He's leading us to the cross. But when he leads us to the cross, there's good news on the other side of it. It's the resurrection. It's the power to live now and to live forever with him. Brothers and sisters, Grace Point Church, that's what he is calling us into today, every day for the rest of our days. I wanna pray for us, and I think it'd be a good opportunity for us to go to the Lord's table together. God, you've called us to an impossible task. 
the task of following you. And so in and of ourselves, there is no way we can do that. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the tenacity. We don't have the stick-to-itness. We just don't have it. We, we don't have the juice, God. Uh, but the good news is when you save us, God, you are with us. You've provided a way for us. And you've given us your spirit to empower us. And so, Father, would you empower us to do what Jesus said, to literally die to self, to have some indifference to self, to focus upon you to where you're no longer optional. You are everything, and our life is centered upon you, and everything flows from you. And Father, also, maybe today, by your spirit, you've shown us some false assumptions, false expectations that we have of you. Maybe we see you as a political means to an end. Maybe we see you as some nationalistic savior. God, would you crush that in us? Would you show us the true nature of Jesus, that you are king of king, Lord of Lord. And you're the one dropping down all walls of hostility to make us one new people together. You are the one assembling us all to where we'll be every tribe, tongue, and nation around you proclaiming the goodness of you. Help us to live into that now. May we see the gospel as of first importance and everything else matters as implications of that afterwards. Jesus, as you're doing this, would you grow us to maturity in you? Would you help us to tell others about you? Would you draw us to unity in one another? Would you draw us into confidence in you? Would you do it for the defeat of the enemy? Would you give us greater joy? Would you do it for the good of the world? And Jesus, may all of this be for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.